turn in God's word then this morning back to Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20 and we are going to take but a very short section of Leviticus chapter 20 this morning reading verses uh, 6 through 9. Leviticus chapter 20. For those of you who are visiting we are in a series of messages on Leviticus and this is where the Lord and his providence brings us in this morning hour. Tonight we return to our series on 1 Timothy, uh, dealing with the section in which uh, the Lord addresses uh, women in terms of public worship as we have looked at what the Lord addresses men with in terms of that in regards to prayer. So we'll continue on our study of 1 Timothy this evening. But this morning it's verses 6 through 9 of Leviticus 20. One of the things that I, I... I will tell you, I've learned in going through the book of Leviticus, and maybe one of the reasons why, for many people, Leviticus is a very hard and difficult book. And I'll confess as well, it's not easy reading. Uh, There is a lot contained within it. I think one of the reasons is, is because we read too much at a time. We're we're trying to get a, a whole boatload. And maybe it's because we're trying to get through it, right? Oh, Lord, just get me through Leviticus so I can go on to the next book. I'm in a reading program, and i got to read these chapters. Lord, just get me through it. I'm trying to to make my way through it. Um, and, And sometimes when we read particularly God's word that way, we perhaps miss where God is going and where God is leading and where God is placing a passage before us. And I think that that's clearly before us in verses 6 through 9. There is such glorious, beautiful, amazing, encouraging, assuring, challenging truth in these verses. And yet if we were to sit down and say, well, i got to read chapters 20 and 21, we'd fly by this and perhaps not really give much thought to these verses. So let us hear God's breathed out word to you and to me this morning. Leviticus 20, beginning to read at verse 6. If a person turns to mediums, and necromancers whoring after them. I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for gathering us together. These are verses that scare us. But we realize that your grace, we get through it all. We pray that you will 
let us hear your word this morning, and Pastor Vibe may give us the truth of the Bible as he preaches. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So there's only two points to the message this morning. First of all, the conflicts, of which there are two. The conflicts, and then the call, which has three parts to it. So the conflicts and the call are our two major points. The Lord, through Moses, in this section, points out two major points of conflict that we, as God's covenant people, have in this world. The one is who are you going to look to? As God's covenant people living in this world, living in this culture, as they lived in their world, in their culture, the question is, who are they going to look to? Who are they going to seek? Who are they going to trust? We as human beings, no different today than the people of Israel back then, have a great desire to know what lies ahead. That there, there is something within us that says, I, I want to know about tomorrow. I want to know next week. I, I want some definite information. I want some, something for sure and solid that I can plan. I want to know what's going to happen next month. Well, we ask it in, in different ways. We ask it as, am I ever going to be married? How many children am I going to have? Am I ever going to have grandchildren? How am I going to die? Will I ever have enough money to pay my bills? What's the next step? Where, where am I going to be? Three months from now. What, what's my career going to look like five years from now? Do I have enough money to outlive my retirement? We ask all sorts of questions. Who are we going to trust? The people in that Moses is addressing, the people of Israel here, are, are faced with the choices. He places two before them. Are you going to turn to the mediums? Are you going to turn to the necromancers? Are you going to turn to those who, who have no clue as to what the future is, but pretend to know? Who think they know? Are, are you going to turn to all of those analysts who, who have uh, some sort of maybe idea, inclination... Remember, remember Friday? We were going to see the sun all day yesterday. Remember them people? They're still working today, by the way. See, in, in Moses' day, there were these mediums. Saul comes to mind, doesn't it? He's faced with... A war, he's faced with a battle with the Philistines. What's going to happen? What's going to be the outcome? And the Lord will not answer him because he's rejected the Lord. There's no prophets who will address him. So he goes to the witch of Endor, the medium. 
tell me. Tell me what's going to happen. Tell me what's going to take place. I need to know. We just get clever. We, we just, in our society today, don't, don't necessarily do that, although there are still a good portion of folks who, who read their horoscope every day to sort of plot out their life, who look at the beginnings of each year and wonder what does Nostradamus have to say about this year and then seek to plan their lives according to what Nostradamus, the medium, has said. Or there are those who engage in even more occult-like practices, and they certainly were around in that day as well. The people of Israel had just come out of Egypt, and there were all sorts of occult practices in order to somehow tell the future. God knows that we have this desire. God knows that it's sort of born within us almost, within our human sinful nature. And God says, trust me. Just trust me. Trust me. There's your choice. You're going to go after the the mediums and the necromancers of either that day and their occult practices or those who prognosticate today and put your hope and trust in what it says in the latest teen magazine as far as what you ought to be doing and how you ought to be living. The Lord reminds us often in his word, here's but a sampling, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Psalm 9, 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Isaiah 12, 2, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. Psalm 41, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, here's the choice. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to look to? The Lord says to his covenant people, to you and I today, trust me. Put your trust In me. Put your faith in me. Even as we have seen Caleb stand this morning and and answer these questions. That's what we're doing. As believers in Jesus Christ. As husbands, as wives, as fathers, as mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers. As fellow believers we're saying, Lord we trust you. We're not going to go and consult the others. We're going to trust you. The consequences of not doing so, God outlines as well. Does he not? I will set my face against that person. We talked about that last Lord's Day evening as well. That turning away, right? So you have that blessing of Abraham, right? 
out of numbers, turn his face towards us and be gracious. If God turns his face away from us, that means we are then under his judgment. But also the second thing that is listed is that he will cut him off from among his people. The end of covenant. There's no relationship anymore. You're cut off. You're separated from. You're no longer in union, in a covenant relationship with the Lord any longer. And then there's the second conflict, which comes at the end, verse 9. So it's sort of like there's brackets, isn't there? There's verse 6. Who are you going to follow? Or who are you going to look to? And now, who are you going to follow? Who, whose authority are you going to submit to? Are you going to submit to God's authority in your life or your to self-authority? How does that come out here? For anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. What's that really all about? Are you going to follow God's authority? Is that who you're going to follow? Are you going to submit to the authority of God? You say, well, it's talking about mother and father. Yes, that's God's authority in life. God is speaking about the authorities that he has instituted, that he has put in place. Or is it self-authority? To curse one's father or mother means to turn away from. To turn opposite from. So you have to picture here, you you have a, a covenant mother and father who are raising and training their children to know the Lord, to love the Lord, to follow the Lord, to obey the Lord, to submit to the Lord. And now we have a child who curses them. He turns his back from that. He turns his back from that that covenant training. He he dismisses it. He curses. Curse is not just an audible thing. It's not just saying something. It's by an attitude of the mind and of the heart. It's an attitude that's unwilling to submit to the authority of being trained in the truths of God's word. It's by the action of turning away from and seeking to go one's own way. It's interesting because when you look at verse 6 and verse 9, what you have is the first law of the first table. You are to worship the Lord your God only. The cursing is the first law of the second table. Honor your father and your mother. God has put verse 6 and verse 9, as it were, as brackets. These are the conflicts we have. Who are we going to look to in life? And who are we going to follow? And God says, anyone who goes after these mediums or looks to anything else other than me, other than trusting in me, I will turn away from. Anyone who does not submit to my authority, the Lord is saying, is one who deserves and shall surely be put to death.
Now notice what happens in between these verses. There is a call in verses 7 and 8. Consecrate yourselves. It's a call that is an imperative. It is a command. This isn't a suggestion. Hey, it would be a really nice, or you'd really make me happy as the Lord if, if you folks would really work on, on just consecrating yourself just a little bit. Could, could you just do that just a little? You know, I, 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 would just, I, I would just smile just a little bit. It's not coming to us as a suggestion or as a hope. That God has. It's coming to us as a summons, as a command, as an imperative. You must do this. You must consecrate yourselves. It's coming to those who have been saved by His grace. Notice, God doesn't come to the people of Israel back there in Exodus chapter 2, and say, hey, I'm thinking about saving you. I'm thinking, of, I got this idea. I'm thinking about maybe taking you guys out of Egypt and, and taking you to the land of Canaan and giving you some freedom. Now, I want you to consecrate yourselves. And if you make my standards, if you live up to the standards, then maybe, maybe, just maybe, I'll let you out of here. No, he's delivered them. He's brought them out by his own mighty hand. The scriptures say, through no efforts of their own. Through nothing they have done. Say, well, they put blood on the doorpost. And who told them to put the blood on the doorpost? Did they come up with that idea? No, that was all of God. Now that they're his covenant people, now that they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, God comes to them and says, now, consecrate yourselves. Make yourself holy. That's literally what this means. Because I've redeemed you, because I've saved you, because I've brought you out, because you are in a covenant relationship with me, make yourself holy. Keep your finger here. Go with me to the book of Philippians, because you might think, well, this is probably just some Old Testament precept that we have here. This, this we can easily dismiss because it's found in the Old Testament. Certainly, this isn't a a New Testament understanding. Go with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now I know there's a verse 13. We'll get there. But read verse 12. New Testament. Christ has already come. Paul, the apostle of justification by faith. Therefore, my beloved. Why are they beloved? Because they're God's covenant people. They're God's elect. Christ has died for them. 
Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as much in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know what that sounds like in the Old Testament? Consecrate yourself. Make yourself holy. This is what God is saying to them. This is his command. This is, this is our duty. This is our responsibility as the people of God. As God's redeemed people. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. Listen to the following quote that is given to us by an old theologian, John Owen. He said, he that shall deny either that God commands us to be holy in a way of duty or promises to work holiness in us by a way of grace may with as much modesty reject the whole of Scripture. In other words, what Owen is saying is you take this away, you take this command away, you take this imperative away. You take this responsibility away. You might as well throw the whole thing out. That's a, that's a pretty weighty statement to make. But it would seem, certainly in the context in which the Lord is raising this, it would seem certainly that the Lord has the same feeling. If you're not going to live as my people, then you're not my people. Consecrate yourselves. Why? If it isn't to gain salvation, why is it? Why is it that we are under a command to consecrate ourselves, to make ourselves holy? Here's the glorious answer. Because God has made us holy. Because you see, we are already holy. Why would we not live holy lives then? Because we are already holy. This is Peter's point in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, 9. But you are a holy nation. A royal priesthood of people belonging to God. God has already made you and I holy by washing us in the blood of Jesus Christ. God had already set these people apart to be his holy covenant people. It's not like they're earning their holiness. It's that they already are holy. Live what you are, is what God is saying. Live what I have made you to be in Christ. Live it out from day to day. Because he, holy. Well, how do we do that? 
See, that would be the next question. Okay, so I'm supposed to live holy. I'm supposed to consecrate myself. How? The Lord answers it. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I, the Lord, your, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. Keep my statutes. The word keep here means to guard. It doesn't, the, the word keep here does not necessarily mean to obey. Else we have a redundancy. Keep and do in the same verse. What God is saying is guard them. Don't diminish these. Don't water these down. Don't, don't somehow think that, oh, when we get to the land of Canaan, certainly God didn't mean we had to get rid of the mediums and the necromancers. Look, they're all around us. Why not make use of them? Right? There, there is that tendency that we have as God's people to diminish the law. Isn't that what Jesus really goes after the Pharisees about? We've been going through uh, in our men's Bible study Wednesday morning the, the latter part of, the, of the, the, the book of Matthew. And, and Jesus is, is on high alert in this section, dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes, calling them to live as, their peop- as the people they're to be. What's the problem? They've got all these minor laws that they're keeping like crazy, but they've missed what God's real law is. They've missed the true impetus of what the law is all about. We have such a tendency to do that as human beings. We want to keep the smallest little detail because that's easier than keeping what is really meant. Keep. Guard. Don't diminish. Don't let anything take away. Don't let anybody take this away. Keep it. And don't just keep it. Do it. Live it. Live it out from day to day. How do we consecrate ourselves? God answers the question. By keeping his statutes, by guarding those statutes. Hence, in the context, go back to it, and God is saying, the first table of the law, the second table of the law, keep my statutes. Guard them, do them, live them up. Now, folks, there are are far more commandments than just the Ten Commandments. But there is hardly a command in the rest of Scripture that does not come back to the ten in some way or another. That you cannot come back to it. And say, yeah, that that really is the basis of what God is calling us to do. Keep the statutes. It's not, you see, a keeping a list of do's and don'ts. That's far too often what, what we and probably more conservative folks tend to do. We, we make it into some sort of do and don't list. 
You know what the Ten Commandments really are? They're the expression of the holiness of God that is within us. They're an expression of God's holiness in this world. How how do we express that? By worshiping only Him. By not making images of Him. By honoring and glorifying His name and His day. How do we do that? How, how How do we show forth holiness that is already within us? That is who already we are. Not that we're earning it. Not that we're racking off points. It's because that's what God has made us. We do that by by honoring our parents. We we do that. By not stealing, we do that. By not committing adultery, we do that. By honoring life, we do that. By honoring the truth, we do that. By being content with that which God has given to us. That's how holiness shows itself. In this world. It's not a, well, I shouldn't do this, I should do this. It's, this is me. Because this is what God has made me to be. This is what God desires for me to be. Maybe so much of our angst in this world about life and about self-fulfillment and everything is really all about the fact that we're looking too much at ourselves rather than letting the holiness of God be seen in this world. So all of us have made a, a vow as confessing members. The promise as we heard this morning, right? To set aside the things of the world. To more and more live for Christ. To more and more let the holiness of the person, of the being you are, because of Christ washing you with his blood. To live that in this world. Now if we stop there, we'd have a problem. If that's all this text said, if there was nothing else added, we'd be in big trouble. Because I'd go home really defeated today. I'd go home and go, wow, what a mess. What a mess. But you see, there is one more line. That's why, that's why I said, you've you, you got to read Leviticus almost phrase by phrase. Because else we'd miss this. Else, else this would have come off as being kind of legalistic this morning. Not really. But it, to many it would sound that way. But listen. Keep my statutes and do them. I'm still in verse 8. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Wait a minute, you just told us to consecrate ourselves, make ourselves holy. Now the Lord is saying, I make you holy. Which is it? 
Take your Trinity Psalter hymnal. Turn to Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 35. It's found on page 970. 970. The Lord who makes you holy. Consecrate yourself. Keep my statutes. I am the Lord who makes you holy. I'm going to read the question. Together you as a congregation respond with that answer. What is sanctification? It is a work of God's free grace. Sanctification is not the work of my heart. Sanctification is not the work of my life. Sanctification is not the work of that which I do. Sanctification is the work of God's grace. I don't sanctify myself. How could an unholy person Make themselves holy. That's why it takes the Lord. The Lord sanctifies. That's why we go back to that passage. Philippians chapter 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation With fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What is the good pleasure of God? But that you and I would live holy lives. God is the worker of our sanctification. What are we doing then? By our being reborn by our being regenerated, by our now receiving okay, this glorious gift of God's grace, we willingly go where God desires for us to go. We willingly follow where God desires for us to follow. Where God leads us to holiness through His Word, we willingly follow. And when we see sin in our lives, we confess that sin, we acknowledge that sin, and we strive. We strive against that sin. And we continue progressively to grow and to grow and to grow. That's what they're going to do for 40 years. It's what we do throughout our life. And then gloriously, wherever we are upon that journey, God in a moment in the twinkling of an eye gives to us a soul that is like unto Christ. Holy. 
doesn't take away our responsibility. No. But our responsibility is not an earning responsibility. Our responsibility is a following responsibility. Our responsibility is a desire responsibility. Lord, I want to be your image bearer in this world. What is the image of God? Holy. This should be the cry of us as the people of God. This is what it means to profess one's faith. This is what it means to be the church of God in this day. This is what it means to be light and salt in the earth. This is what it means that we say, Lord, our sanctification is your work, for you are the Lord who sanctifies. And we desire, we desire desire to consecrate ourselves because you have already made us holy in Christ. It is to be who God desires for us to be. And so many of the frustrations, so many of the problems, so many of the difficulties that that come into our lives because we're not living who we are. God's people, holy people. And so in the midst of this Old Testament passage comes this glorious New Testament truth. I don't need to despair. For it is God who is working in me and in you for his good purposes, conforming us to the glorious image of Christ, holy and blameless before him. Let us, as God's people, hear today the word of God and follow where he leads. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and for the blessing that it is. That, Father, we might be assured of this process of sanctification, that it's not up in the air. You will accomplish in your people that which you desire. Oh, Father, give us hearts. Give us souls. Give us minds. Teach us, Lord. We say, teach us to follow you every day, every moment, so that there shall be no part of day or night that is somehow set apart from this sacred, holy life that you have called us to live in this world. Not for our glory, not for our honor, but so that Christ might be glorified. In his name, God's people say, amen.